to the Red Raven Games Podcast, episode 16. I'm Ryan Lockett. I'm Brenna Asplund. Hey, I'm Andrew Frick. How you guys doing? Good. How are you doing? Yeah, pretty good. Good, good. It's been a good week. Yes, it yeah. has. I know this isn't game related, but the figure skating Grand Prix Final was last weekend and it was oh. really exciting. Nice. <laughs> cool. Very cool. Yuzuru yeah. Hanyu, like, totally killed it in the short program and then totally biffed it in the... Oh. Free skate, but he still won overall, which is insane because hey, almost weird. almost always the position bad. in the free skate is they're gonna is gonna be their position overall. But user Ohanyu did so much better than everyone else in the short <laughs> program. He still came in first, <laughs> even though he came in third in the free skate, and this is out of six. That's exciting. So <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. Whenever I watch I like that, I, just, I get so nervous. I'm like sweating <laughs> as I'm watching it. I'm like, oh no, they're going to they're gonna fall oh, on gosh. this one. They're going to fall on that one. It's especially <laughs> rough in the Grand Prix Final because it's the top six people from all over the world, from all of the competitions from the rest of the season. But you can tell there's a lot of like an intense pressure on it because it's the final. It's the top six. You're going to be the world champion. So like right. these these top figure skaters who have been pulling off these flawless routines all season, suddenly keep falling a ton in the Grand Prix <laughs> final. It is pretty stressful. So, Brennan, have you ever figure skated? or No. <laughs> are, are you going to learn something? It, it seems like you like hash skating. Do you like hash skating? Yes, but I don't get to go that often. No, it's okay. funny. It's funny. I minored in Russian in college. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, if you trace that back all the way, like, ultimately my interest in the Russian language and Russia in general... Probably you can trace it back to Yevgeny Plushenko, the famous Russian figure skater. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's cool. neat. I do like watching it, though. It is cool. It's fun, yeah. I know my wife really wants to learn to figure skate, so if you're interested, you that guys should take cool. a class together or something. <laughs> yeah, and then we I can think research I might die. it. And then we can make a game about figure skating. Oh, I'd try to do, I'd try to do a jump, and I'd fall and kill myself. <laughs> nice. Well, that was last weekend, so speaking of weekends, this weekend, I am very excited for I cannot oh, wait for for Star Wars Rogue oh, One. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I didn't realize it was coming out this week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. me too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Star Wars. Yeah, I, I'm pretty much a, a, a number one fan. Yeah, my favorite movie is Empire Strikes Back. So, but uh, you know this uh, this new movie. Um, I'm gonna try to go with low expectations. I think that's the right so way to do it. Saying, right? Go with low. Going with low expectations. And, and, if it, and if I hope. Be pleasantly surprised. I'm gonna be pleasantly yeah. surprised. I love it, and I, I really yeah. hope it's a good one. So. Yeah. 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 To, to too. Stay tuned. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, what games are you guys playing? I have been playing a lot of Stardew Valley. Right. Like I played it pretty obsessively when it first came out because I've always been a big fan of the farming sim games. Like yeah. I've been playing Harvest Moon since I oh, was yeah. a little kid. Yeah. But then I just recently, this past weekend, picked it up again. I've, I've played, I think, like maybe something close to 30 hours since last <laughs> Friday. <laughs> nice. Oh, wow. Okay. So I'm already yeah. in the first fall and I got married and I've done a bunch of stuff. <laughs> so let me ask you about, about this because I have played um, the Super Nintendo... Harvest Moon. That's yeah. the one I played Me when too. I was a kid. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. the one I played too. And um, I haven't played any versions since then or oh, anything yeah? like it. So, um, how similar is it to that original Stardew, Super Nintendo game? Stardew Valley is a lot more like the original Super Nintendo game than any of the other 
Harvest Moon games in the series. Okay, so let me ask you: Do you go around like with a like with your tools, and then you're like um, every spot of ground you're going to one at a time? You're like, you know, breaking up the dirt, and then you plant the seeds, and then you do you have to water stuff like one thing at a time? I remember yes, until pretty... you upgrade your tools, you okay. can upgrade your tools. You can also in Stardew Valley, you can eventually get recipes to build sprinklers, so you don't have to okay water yeah. them yourself. I remember it's, there was a thing you upgraded your water can, and then you could, like, hit a whole bunch yeah. of stuff at the same mm-hmm. time. Okay. Yeah. The, there's that in it. And so it's basically, it's kind of like the SNES version, but a lot more complex. Like, there's a lot more you can do in it. Okay. Uh, the gameplay is, I think, a lot freer yeah. than the SNES. Like, I was never that into the SNES version of it. My first Harvest Moon game was the GameCube one, Magical Melody. Okay. And I was, I've been really into the series from that point, so I do really like the later Harvest Moon games that yeah. aren't as much like the SNES one. The SNES one always seemed, like, really difficult and kind of punishing to me. Like, you have to be really precise in how you use your time and how you do everything yeah. in order to accomplish anything, yeah. which I never enjoyed that much. Stardew Valley isn't as, isn't as punishing, but in gameplay and in art style... Stardew Valley is definitely sort of a spiritual successor to the early Harvest Moon game. So can you go explore, like, stuff that's not your farm? Yes. Yes. Uh, One of the fun things in Stardew Valley is that, like, I don't remember, was there mining in the SNES Harvest Moon? There was. So you had, like, a cave. Was there? I can't can't remember. Mining is a big part of the series later on, but you you can go mining in Stardew Valley, and there are monsters in the mine. Oh, that you, you have to fight. Oh, okay. So you can get, like, swords and weapons and, like, armor and stuff wow. as you fight down through the mines fighting more impressive monsters, which in that way makes it kind of more similar to the spin-off of the main Harvest Moon series called Rune Factory that was the farming but with dungeon-crawling oh. elements. Oh, cool. I know so much about <laughs> farming sims. I could tell you all about... The interesting uh, copyright dispute that has led to there being now American-made knockoff Harvest Moon games, whereas the original Japanese series is now being translated under the name Story of Seasons because they don't have rights to that title anymore. <laughs> you know, there you know I, I, watched, <laughs> I watched the videos of the of Stardew Valley, yeah, and uh, looking at those, uh, Ryan, to kind of compare. I will say there's lots more exploration, yeah. lots more of all the farming, with all the implementation with more types of animals and more things, and the festivals, and then like the dating sim aspects of like the relationship, they've really flushed yeah. that out. So in any, every aspect, I feel like they've really made, tried making it more, uh, it's still the farming simulator, but you can do the open sandbox exploration, there's yeah. a lot more there. Uh, for the, I mean, the game is more than just a sim. They, they have a lot more things. It looks cool. And you can, I, yeah, and you can sort of, you can sort of choose what you want to focus on. If you want to be big in the mining or the fishing, like, like there are there, there are different viable options. Yeah, there's you you go up in skills, and then you can choose sort of focuses on those skills when you reach milestones. Like if you want to uh, get better prices for gems, or if you want to have a higher drop rate for ores, stuff like that. Neat. Well, I saw that they had recently like a video game awards uh, show. I guess it was like live streamed on Steam. I didn't stay for the whole thing, but I did see that Stardew Valley was nominated for Game of the Year. Does anybody know 
if it won any awards or does anybody know, know what, what won awards a couple weeks ago when that was I, I didn't I don't know I, I didn't I see that but it was it was not I saw for some live tweeting of it but I don't know what won anything yeah fair enough but yeah. no it's very fun and as far as the dating sim elements go I'd say it's about on par with modern Harvest Moon games so yeah the SNES game the the dating sim element was pretty minimal. Yeah, it's really it's a, a lot. Part of it. It's a lot more robust in the later Harvest Moon games, and now the Story of Season games, and it's a similar level in that to in Stardew Valley. Oh, yeah. okay. sounds like they've improved on what, what that first started up or yeah. did. Yeah, like I said, it's basically it's the SNES Harvest Moon game, but more of everything. Nice. <laughs> okay. A couple final thoughts before we move on from farming sims <laughs> and those thoughts are one that i really like playing farming sims in particular and i am able to dump hundreds of hours of gameplay into them specifically because they're just mindless enough that i can do other stuff while i play them mm. so like i will play harvest moon and marathon all of arrested development that's what i did when i watched arrested <laughs> yes. development as i was playing harvest moon a new beginning and then while I've been playing Stardew Valley, I've been marathoning this D&D real play podcast called Thrilling Intent that my younger sisters are really into. So I have to watch it all so that I can relate to them. So, <laughs> but then my other thought is that one of the things I really like about Stardew Valley as a farming sim, which is something I also really liked about Harvest Moon Magical Melody, is that there are a lot of small little goals to go to to work towards in stardew valley you have the community center where you're supposed to collect certain amounts of items in order to fulfill orders basically which will then grant you bonus items and eventually like improve the town so it'll fix up the bus that's broken or it'll allow you to transport using these mine carts stuff like that if you fulfill all these little requirements. So you always have something to work for. You always have a goal that's within reach. Mm. And similarly in Harvest Moon Magical Melody, you had these hundred different musical notes that you were trying to collect that were essentially like little um, achievements in a game mm -hmm. where it was like, if you sit still for five minutes, it'll give you a musical note for that. <laughs> if you get married, it'll give you a musical note for that. Just all these tiny little things that you're going to be doing in the game anyway it's going to reward you for, which feels really good and motivates you to try to do a variety of the things that the game allows you to do so that you can get those notes. Are they kind of like daily achievements? They're not daily. It's just a big list. It's just a big yeah, list. Achievement list, okay. It's like a point salad Things that you can game. accomplish. It is. Yeah. It's like a point salad game. And if you, get, if you get like 50 of them, then you rescue the harvest goddess. She uh, turns back. She has been turned to stone. So if you get 50 magical notes, musical notes, she'll stop being stone and she'll come back to life and you'll like win the game but you then you keep going because you know farming ends. sims they never end right but right. they do occasionally have goals and then yeah as you keep getting more of those musical notes you get little rewards for it cool but it's, it's cool. really it's really satisfying when there are those small goals you can get you can be like yes i did it i'm awesome <laughs> and there's something else close by that you can work towards again so that you're always getting that sense of accomplishment, you know? I have one yeah. question about that. So, here's my question. How is the soundtrack for this game? <laughs> for Stardew Valley? We've been there playing or... for a long time. For, yeah, for Stardew Valley. 
Stardew Valley, I listened to other stuff. Uh, I listened to the soundtrack. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Magical Melody, I liked it. Magical Melody was a console game. It was for GameCube, and I played it when I was pretty young, so I didn't watch anything else while I played while I played that. But I did like the soundtrack. You've advanced to the next level. I've advanced to the next level of multitasking. <laughs> well, this is interesting what you say about this multitasking idea. when I was idea. a preteen. You know, when you're playing a game and you're doing something else, like listening to yeah. a audiobook or a podcast or something. I, I, I think of like miniature painters, right? They'll paint the miniature and often they're listening to a podcast or they're watching a movie. Yeah. And this is a good segue because speaking of miniature painting, Here we go. one of the games I played yeah. <laughs> this week that uh, I had a blast, I really enjoyed playing, uh, was Shadows of Brimstone. Now, this is a, a board game. It's like a dungeon crawl style board. It's a co- fully cooperative game. So you play together as a group and unlike a lot of dungeon crawl games where you have like a set player playing the what do you call it the overlord or the game master like yeah. dungeon dragons everyone is playing cooperatively and the monsters have these really unique artificial intelligent like rule sheets on like how they're going to move they're going to switch targets this one's going to come around behind the player and fly over them and come behind them where they're going to move to which space kind of so it's very neat um, but but this is a game that you have to assemble the miniatures when you open the box. Oh, oh yeah. So, so you got to glue them. You got to glue them, and you got to shave out the little things. You got to clip the things, I mean, and then painting is well so. yet to be determined. <laughs> yeah. At least in my case, yeah. <laughs> they're they're all very gray, yeah. and uh, the pictures in the book, you know, and the rules and all the, the little painting tips. Those models look amazing. Mine, <laughs> not so much. But <laughs> so maybe, maybe that's a thing. I've tried many times to paint miniatures and. I'll tell you, it, I just don't have the patience for it. After putting three or four hours into a single figure and it t- turn out very subpar, uh, I haven't developed that talent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. maybe, maybe someday. I but, mean, I mean, as an artist, I have never found it like it, it never has looked very fun to me. Like you'd rather just dr- paint your own pictures. Yeah, it's like almost, painting a miniature. Uh, I'm probably gonna offend some people saying this, but it's it's like advanced uh, coloring book, right? Yeah. yeah. You, you you already have the you already have the shape. You just have to put the, the coating on it. And I'm not saying that... I'm sure there's a lot of skill that goes into that. Yeah, and sure. I know... I've seen very impressive miniatures. Right, yeah. But, um, you know... I, I like the idea of just sort of creating with a blank page. But you Well, know. Ryan, since you're an artist, I really don't want to deny you the opportunity to try. <laughs> so I have some sure miniatures. Like if I tried it, I'm sure it wouldn't. Why don't I lend you some of these? And you can kind of take a hand, and when you're done, uh, you can send them back to me and... We'll see, we'll see how so, you feel about it. We'll have a discussion okay. about it. <laughs> so for this game, dealing with the AI monsters, yeah. how does it feel? Is it like a big pain to like have to read the rules of how they're going to act and have to keep up with it? And... I'll tell you, that's a great question. You know, the very first time I played this, um, well, the first time we played a full game where we actually survived through multiple rooms, uh, we had a player who felt a little frustrated because... We had, you know, six or seven different types of monsters at once. But without there being a like a role master GM or overlord, we'll call it an overlord player, uh, each player is then basically helping manage that thing. So it's not overwhelming. You know that one person who gets stuck babysitting the other players and having to manage all this information? It's, it's exhausting. But to have each person say, you control this monster group. Here, you you help us remember yeah. uh, one that's initiative for this mm-hmm. monster to go and keep track of what its so, abilities are. So let me ask really you. easy to manage and, and and super fluid too. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So when you talk about this, it reminds me of um, Fantasy Flight's game like this. Uh, the Descent. Descent. Okay. Yeah. yeah. 
So how does Descent? I actually have not played Descent. Okay, so Descent is one of my favorite games, and Shadows of Brimstone. handle it differently? What's I love the both these games, and there are differences. Yeah, so Descent has an Overlord player, and that player has a deck of abilities, and they're cost experience points. As they kill heroes, they get experience, and between adventures, they can buy cards to their deck, and then they're deck building their actions, which okay. summon monsters, place traps, and so their object is to get experience points and win the campaign. That Overlord player oh, really? wants to win. He is brutally trying to destroy because he is playing to win. Okay. It's not like a happy-go-lucky, so really one versus one three versus or four. Three or four. Or okay. Oh, yeah, so it's like an ace, but it is cooperative for the four players, but this guy's overpowered, cool. and okay. he's got, they need to put their heads together to tactically position to survive and not get overwhelmed by the monsters. And in Shadows of Brimstone... They do away with that. Uh, everyone's Everything's on an AI yeah. monster... I, I love I love both Descent and Imperial Assault, which both have very a lot of similarities. Yeah. Uh, but when one person, let's say the Overlord, is winning, there's often this this you'll hear players start complaining that it's unfair, or the mission might be unbalanced, or the Overlord's crushing them, and he's and and then they're upset after a session. Or on the other hand, the players gang up and then they try to you know bend the rules in their favor, and then the Overlord loses, and then the Overlord's upset and feeling ganged up against and. This back and forth can be a, an antagonistic thing that can occur, and I've seen many campaigns never survive or finish because of that. And, and I think in Shadows of Brimstone, where you, you know, where you have it being artificially run and the players working together, there's a true cooperative teamwork. And I, and, and I don't want to talk about this forever, but let me just say, let me show you one example. We had a game where, um, uh, just this week, uh, we opened up the starting room and we moved and we moved and didn't have any encounters we're like this is easy so a guy moved up to the edge of the tile and he used his action to reveal a new he drew a map card found a like a special and all the tiles are puzzle pieced together so you find whatever room that is and you put it out there and the next guy hadn't gone yet so he's like let me just run ahead into that room and i said well we're putting an encounter token on it we don't reveal that until the end of the turn so so he could just run in there run in and there almost it's like be like the worst it's thing like ever. in darkness like the lantern <laughs> hasn't even like illuminated the room yet, right? Yeah. Sure enough, we get ambushed by monsters. <laughs> of course. And it's in the card we draw, is, uh, it was a medium difficulty, because there was four of us. And it brought up a really big monster, and it had, please draw another card. A, oh, a, no. A green lesser card, which is like a, like a lower difficulty. It had like six hellbats, and it said roll a die. We rolled a die, and we got the highest number of hellbats. Like oh, six instead no. of just like one or two. It then had another card. So then we drew that, and it had eight of these void spiders, these little spiders with, like, giant mouths on their undersides. And sure enough, the ambush, instead of just a normal attack, the ambush said, instead of placing the monsters in a checkerboard pattern from the furthest spaces away from the heroes, then towards them, it said, start with all the spaces next to the heroes, and then uh, work off of that. Oh. So we were so all surrounded, surrounded and separated. The one guy's way up at the top, couldn't help him out. We were adjacent. My abilities, I was the, uh, the rancher. And I was playing a character, we'll just say uh, her name was Dolores, for the uh, for simplicity's sake. But uh, I could only use my gun as long, for effectively as long as there were monsters adjacent to me. So I wanted so to be behind. Couldn't, couldn't use them. I was basically always had my gun tied up with these monsters on, crawling all over me. And, it, you know, if you can use your imagination, what happened next was... We were all killed. It was a <laughs> yeah. party wipe. So I could, I could see where that was going by the end of yeah. that. Yeah, and so we all ended up having to take injuries and madness cards, and those are permanent effects until we go to the doctors. Um, back in town, there's all these buildings you can oh, visit. Really? Yeah, there's a whole campaign. But the game, me of, uh, the game isn't over when you all die? No, you get injured. It's almost like you, your horses were just waiting for you. You get KO'd, but you're like crawling barely way back, escaped. barely. 
and we had like one guy had his eye gouged out, another guy has broken arms, he can't use a shotgun anymore, and so wow. So this sounds like uh, Darkest Dungeon. Have you guys seen that? I've seen game? it. Yeah. So you go in these, you, you build a party, and um, you go into these dungeon raids, right? And and in the dungeon, you'll have all these bad things happen to you, and you can go mad and. And if you get, it's been a while since I played this, but I, I remember you could get these permanent negative, um, mm. you know, you could, maybe you were like, uh, mad or, right. uh, what was the other one? Paranoid yes. or like uh, greedy or something like that. Anyway. And that's a common thing in a Is lot of fantasy a... flight games like Elder Tor and Arkham War. They do that as well. They, they have that. these persistent negatives yeah, yeah. that you take when you get KO'd. Oh. I was going to ask, if, is that a roguelike, the it, darkest... Is it, um, yeah, I mean, it has roguelike elements, I would say that. So it's a roguelike-like. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, well, it's, it's, it's a little different because there's sort of a town, and mm. you have, and, and you kind of hang out at town, you can buy things, you can recruit new guys, and then you'll have to decide which guys are going. So you build the party, and you'll send other guys to go get healed while you're sending the, the healthy guys, and, and then... Um, you'll send them, and hopefully they'll get experience. Anyway, it's a, it's a, a really hard game. Yeah. I remember just that's a roguelike a element. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but compared to other roguelike games I've played, it it was it, it was a unique experience yeah. because it broke up the dungeon crawl uh, with the town thing. That and, does sound interesting. And the dungeon cool. was very um, turn based. I mean, it wasn't real time at all. Mm. So okay, you move and it's like a, it, the turn token goes. You know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the comparison to Descent and to Imperial Soul, that's a good comparison. I mean, it's similar to those games in a lot of ways. Uh, Shadows of Brimstone, there are two base sets. There are each one to four players. I think they're $100 each. Yeah. Uh, but when you co- if you combine them, you can go up to uh, six players. And thematically, it's a Western. Yeah, it's a Western. Wild West it's not... with a, like, Lovecraftian Cthulhu horror. <laughs> so if you're familiar it's, with the role-playing it's... game Deadlands, very much like that weird West. Okay, okay. That sounds so, interesting. Do they put it in the... In like the U.S. or is it oh, just yeah. some? Place? Oh, it's it's, oh, it's, it's in the, the U.S. Yeah, it's US. like okay. well, actually, like the it's like the old West. I see what you're saying. Hulu. Is it a fantasy world or is it? It is like, a fantasy world. It's a fantasy, fantasy world. towns and but I think everything is resembling of like a bayou area yeah. or like a, you know a, a Red Canyon and these okay. kinds of things. So yeah, it's definitely an American inspired fantasy. world. American inspired, yes, yeah. that's right. Okay. That sounds fun. Like I, I know it. none of us have none of us have still played Final Fantasy fifteen. <laughs> no. But I think it's really interesting watching my brother play it a little bit. Yeah. It definitely seems like it's set in an America inspired fantasy world compared yeah. to other oh, neat. Final Fantasy games that are often like Europe vaguely European, European. or Japanese, like and I definitely I I think I saw someone say, like, oh, it looks just like the European countryside, but then you play... No, it doesn't. It's the western United States. Yeah. Also, I mean, they're on a road trip. Yeah, there's nowhere the western else in United the, States thing. There's nowhere else in the world where you can do a road trip like you can in the U.S. and Canada. Yeah, right. Like, that's just not... Nowhere else do you have the quality of roads or the amount of space to really go on a big like old a road trip. Trip. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's true. I don't know anything about Final Fantasy 15. <laughs> more I hear it's about it's a road it, trip. Sounds interesting, but it's I'll, four bros on a road trip. I, I will admit we are we are talking about Final <laughs> Fantasy a lot lately, and because of that, I started playing Final Fantasy 8 again. Oh, yeah. 
And I like eight. And I did because I'm just like I want to play a Final Fantasy game. And now that I have them on my Steam account, I'm getting all these new achievements which I never got. So it like yeah. gives me an excuse to like I don't know re-experience the games and have some new challenges. Yeah, yeah. Final Fantasy eight is the one I got the furthest in. I've never actually beaten a Final Fantasy never, game. Yeah. I did uh, finish eight. I did as well. I thought it was really rewarding as a story, but I thought some of the gameplay, uh, the grinding, was particularly grindy. Yeah, that's par (laughs) for the course in a JRPG, though. I I like the setting, though. It's a a really unique setting, I thought. Yeah, the military academy that your students... Yeah, it's kind of a futuristic thing, but it's weird because the the world is so uninhabited comparatively. It's like the technology is pretty advanced, but everyone lives in these little, like... Spaceships, basically. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, speaking, of, Ryan, what have you played? So, uh, it's it's been a busy week. I haven't played a lot. I played a lot of Dark Souls three. I think I'm getting near the end of that one. Um, nice. I will say, uh, when when Brennan was talking about uh, uh, sort of those little mini rewards in yeah. the, the music mm-hmm. note thing, you know, I think a lot of good uh, RPGs will have a system like that, and even Dark Souls will have something like that, like. It, it always gives me something to keep, like, yeah. going. There's always, like, this goal, like, oh, there's this boss that I just can't beat. It's way too hard, and so it's, like, a problem I have to solve. Well, how do I how do I beat this thing? Well, I could go and grind, or I could go and find this item that helps me, you know, become more powerful in mm-hmm. this way, or gives me more health, or, oh, I could get a teammate to come help me here. So I... that. That's a lot of fun. I like yeah, that. Yeah, and even even just like armor or weapon upgrades can yeah. kind of act as in a similar way, or little side quests. You know, anything that's small but feels like you've accomplished something. Yeah. I really, I think I have to have that in a game for me to stay interested in it, oh, yeah. for me to be able to get all the way through it or put tons of hours into it. Yeah. I need to be able to feel like there's something I'm accomplishing. Rises and peaks, right? It's just, yeah. just yeah. one ultimate goal that's... It's daunting. It's out of reach. Yeah, I need a bunch of little goals to get me there. Yeah, right, right. Now the other game I played again was Adrenaline over the weekend. Oh and yeah, we how did about that this go? Before, and I, you know, it was a, it was a lot of fun again. I think playing the second time, one thing I, one one comment that my brother made was that the game was the type of game that he would play with a more casual group, mm-hmm. but the game has sort of a learning curve that's hard to get over because it has all this uh, iconography that is difficult to teach, like all the weapons do different things. And um, so it does, but it has that sort of chaotic random feel mixed with Euro mechanics. It's it's a really unique game, but uh, I I kind of agreed with him on that. Yeah, it does sound like a unique experience. You know, and I played it, and I, I, I fully agree with that. I mean, I loved it. It was very streamlined. It was very easy to play, and it made sense as we were going through because there was a guy helping explain things as we went, but when I looked at those abilities and every card was a different ability, and every weapon was a different, you know, power, it felt a bit daunting as a new player. And and I remember I had a bad experience with another game that um, I think uh, was made by the same company, uh, which was one of my favorite games, Galaxy Trucker. Yeah. But I tried sharing that with a casual group, group of people who didn't play board games because I thought, hey, this is kind of like a supposed to be like totes itself as a party and don't take it too seriously. Yeah. But when you st- still have a 40-page rule book, you know, uh, <laughs> there is, you know, it, and it, it still that lasted, you know, almost a two-hour game for kind of that casual thing. 
It's just not, it not so casual. Well. It didn't go over yeah. well. It fell really flat. And, it, and But we've had very good experiences with it when I'm playing with my gamer groups, yeah. right? It's a light game for them, but... It's like light game, casual game for, like, serious gamers. Serious gamers. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Right, right. Okay, well, um, let's move on to the questions. We have a couple of these, Brenna, if you want to read them. Okay. Yeah, yeah uh, just m- me personally looking ahead to what's going to be the tip of the week, I feel like this one's going to be relevant to the conversation. Okay. So Suzanne, who's at 425Suzanne on Twitter, asked, what's the most challenging part of the Kickstarter process for your team? Now, this is, maybe I should have read this beforehand, because <laughs> they're actually, it's hard to answer. There's so many things that are challenging. Yeah. Um, but I would say, you know, working, it's, it's so great to work with the community. I think it's fun. Yeah. But it can be very um, time-consuming, you know, and just making sure that people are happy. It, it's almost—it's difficult because once you get a, a, once you start a project and you have a lot of backers, there's a lot of, you know, you're having to spend time with each backer, right? Each backer is a person that you're communicating with, and you're. Uh, yeah, and there's a lot of pressure to make sure that you're you're keeping these people happy, and you know the truth of it is you can't make everyone happy. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and. But, but making sure that everyone's happy, it's a lot of pressure. It's an, there's an emotional weight, you know, that, yeah. that's on you all the time. Don't screw this up, you know. And it's not just that. It's like there's that long-term planning. If you don't do your research, you have to do your research to make sure that shipping works out, to make sure the manufacturing works out. And if there's a snag in there, like, if let's say you make one error. So, for example, when you're finishing the game, mm-hmm. uh, if you miss one thing, in just the game contents I'm talking about. That's everyone, that, that that affects every person. You know, that's one mistake that you made, but that's time times it by 5,000, you know. <laughs> so. Yeah, absolutely. And that's actually what I was probably going to say, too, is that I think, yeah, one of the most rewarding things about Kickstarter is getting that direct feedback from people, seeing how excited people are about the game, stuff like that. But it can get kind of exhausting dealing with the questions, like managing it. Yeah. Especially when it's the same questions over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And, over. and there, there is, there is an emotional toll to that, where everyone wants a piece of your time, which isn't necessarily bad. They did pay for it. They, yeah, we they want, want that. We want, and we want it too. And we know? want it too. Yeah, we like it and appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. But to, but to every, to every backer, they see that. They're the only one dealing with it's only it's only them and you to them. Right, right. But to you running the campaign and dealing with the messages and running the community, it's so many people that are taking a chunk of that. Yeah. yeah. You know. Yeah. You that know. are taking a chunk of your time and your emotional energy to to uh, help them out, help them with through with their problems, keep them keep them happy and satisfied as customers. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned that like detail focus Ryan about like wor- worrying about if there's a mistake or one little error or something like that I think just the energy output to just focus and make sure just to have to constantly be combing and, and searching for that error that could potentially be there so that to make sure you don't miss it yeah. I mean in, in hindsight we can say oh you know hey you know there was an error and we caught it and we missed it but until that happens right there's this level of like you're you have blinders on it so you're just looking at everything with this lens of like is there an error here? Is there something that needs to be addressed or looked at? Because the potential problem, if there, if you don't catch it, 
is so yeah uh, and, so dis- and if, like, yeah nobody wants that and if you do make a mistake or if there's any problems at any step along the way even if it's not necessarily like a mistake that it's anyone's fault if there's just if there's any sort of problem getting the games to your backers or producing the game or anything that's going to make dealing with the community aspects of it so much harder because you're going to have tons of people mad at you dealing with 20 emails a day like where's my game don't 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 be mad i mean i will so so here's an example sometimes you'll you will make a mistake that it was hard to i I don't want to say that it was not avoidable i mean it was avoidable i i probably could have done that extra little bit of research, but I missed it. So in one of my early projects, I, I used a shipping company to ship to people um, overseas from the U.S. Now, the thing I didn't know is that all these people were going to be charged a gigantic customs fee, and people were really angry about that. I had I really had no idea. I thought that uh, you know it was going to be a, a minimal sort of fee. If I had used another service, it would have been a small fee, but it was a huge fee, and that was a lot of people that were really mad. Yeah. And and that's just the kind of mistake that you can make, uh, you know, just choosing the wrong shipping company. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely the kind of thing that's uh, going to make people mad at you. Now, let's see. Another question we got from Popeye McWilson, who's at Popeye McWils- McWilson on Twitter. Uh, he asks, how many games do you have in the pipeline right now? Well, we were talking about this the other day. We have, it, it really depends on the definition. I mean, I have maybe 10 games floating around that I want to make, but there are maybe three that are like... In the active production process? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And one, in fact, I just finished today. I, well, I finished the files and the art today, but I can't, I can't talk about what it is. <laughs> I want to keep it so, a secret. Get hype for Ryan Lockett's <laughs> new mystery game. Yeah. All done and ready to go, but you don't know anything about it. Yeah. This will be fun to see the contemplative forum posts on Board Game well, What Geek. will it be? What's the, the new game? speculation <laughs> begin. <laughs> yes. But it's always a good feeling to finish something. And also, it was fun to finish this so quickly after the last one took so long. Yeah. <laughs> that last one being near and far. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, I can imagine that doing something lighter and quicker to finish would be satisfying yeah. after that marathon that was the production process of Near and Far. Yeah, well, the, it's funny because this game, this new one, it has um, a two-page rule sheet, right? A rule book that's two pages yeah. compared to the 40-page rule book from Near and Far. Yeah, <laughs> so that tells you right Ouch. there the amount of effort that yeah. each one takes. Yeah. All right, so let's go to the... Tip, tip, tip of the week. If you are planning to crowdfund, let's say you're a designer, you want to put your game up on Kickstarter, get the funds for it, and uh, make that game, you have to be willing to do research. And lots of research in a lot of different areas. So before you do a Kickstarter, let's say you want to do a Kickstarter project, you need to have uh, looked at shipping prices. You got to think about who's going to manufacture it. You got to think about how you're going to ship it over here, because <laughs> there is seriously so many things that could go wrong. Yeah. So the more preparation you do ahead of time, the better that project's going to be. And you know, even though I've done like 
12 projects, there's always some new problem that happens. It seems like every time. And so, um, you know, for example, let's talk about, uh, let's talk about shipping prices. Mm -hmm. So you'll see a lot of people that will run Kickstarter projects and they will, they won't even think about, well, actually I've heard stories where someone will start their Kickstarter project before getting a quote from the printer and before getting shipping prices. Uh Uh-oh. (laughs) <laughs> no, and, That's and I, I've heard from people in the, in, in the industry, this okay. is really common. Okay. It's surprisingly mm. common for, like, new Kickstarter projects. Like, somebody just see they, they sort of look at somebody else's thing, and then they, just, they, they guess, you know, that theirs will be similar... Uh, this is a huge mistake. <laughs> that's, that's so wild to me that you would set out to say, we need this amount of money to viably print this game, when you haven't done any research kind of into research. how much it's going to cost to m- make the game. Well, I have a, That's I mean, weird. So I have a thought, a question here, because so if you're Joe and you're trying to make a game, like we're talking about this, yeah. so Joe, where does he, I mean, there's not a site that says Kickstarter research for your very specific project.com, <laughs> right? And so to find that, it's kind of daunting. You kind of have to like you know lick your finger to the wind and try to guess, right? Yeah. I think a lot of people go in with that because they don't really have a point of reference of where to begin or where they can look. Yeah, and I mean, I will say years ago, uh, let's see, five or six years ago when I was starting this, the resources weren't there. I mean, there weren't as many resources. Now there are so many. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people read uh, Jamie Stegmeier's blog. He talks at, at Stonemeyer Games. He talks a lot about all the details of these things. You can go, you can find printing companies, um, you know, and they will have a lot of, you know, I know Panda Game Manufacturing, they have a website with all sorts of different, uh, there's like a frequently asked question uh, page with tons of information. Wow, cool. So, yeah. And I think if you're you're to the point where you're seriously considering putting up a Kickstarter and you're seriously looking into how you can manufacture your game specifically, you're going to have to be willing to email people and to talk to people directly. Like, I mean, like, getting actual specific quotes for your game, specifically from specific manufacturers. Oh, sure, yeah. Like, yeah. not just, what's the vague what's price, the vague price? Yeah. of printing a game? You need, to, you need to be willing to talk to people as if you are going to print it to find out what's going to be needed to print it. Right, right. Yeah, I read a really interesting uh, blog about this, and they basically said each game designer needs to be a game designer... But they also need to have a hat that they can put on, which is that of a businessman, you know, or businesswoman. They basically have to be able to disassociate. I mean, they're game designer, their baby for a second, and make those hard decisions, which are hard, realistic numbers, like yeah. hard numbers, because you can't be playing a game with numbers when it's real life. Yeah, <laughs> and that's true. Part of it, and part of it depends on what your ultimate goal is with game designing, because if it's a hobby for you and you want to maybe print the one game to say that you did it and get it out there, that's going to be different than if you want to make it your full-time job, you know? Yeah. I So I have some advice, um, just since we're talking about that. If you're starting out, uh, I would start small. Um, because if you have a small project, uh, um, a big mistake will, will not it's not going to kill you. Yeah. You know, mistakes are not nearly as big when you do a small project. So when I say a small project, maybe start out with a card game. 
maybe do a print-on-demand thing. There are lots of great companies in the U.S. that'll do print-on-demand card games that are just in 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 one little box, you know, like sixty cards or something. Start there, you know, yeah, and, and learn as you go, and maybe you can grow and you'll get an audience, and then later on you can you can build up to some of the bigger projects that you have in mind, um, you know, because I started with some bigger projects um, when I did Kickstarter and. Um, those in those early projects, I mostly just lost money, so I I was lucky. I was able to start this whole thing with a little bit of cash in the bank, and pretty much the first few years I did this, we didn't we didn't make any money. I, I had to work my other full time job, and I just did this uh, on the side. You know, at night I'd get home from the job, and I would just work, you know, till midnight, and. And no, it was it was really cool to do to do the whole experience. But I say this just to say, we did these early games that looked that that were successful, you know, but they still lost money overall. It took <laughs> it took a long time to really build up to the point where we could start doing this full time. So just keep that in mind. Maybe start small and and build up. I wish I would have done it honestly. I think it would have been a, an easier path to go. Yeah. That's great insight for sharing with the listeners. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Ryan. That's cool. You know, I have one more little thought on, on the tail end of that. You know, you look at some of these big companies, right? Like, let's just use, like, Fantasy Flight Games or maybe, like, you know, Shadows of Brimstone was made by a company called Flying Frog Games, right? Yeah. In both these cases, these guys that make these $100 board games with all these miniatures and all this stuff in the box, right, they didn't start with those kinds of games. In fact, Fantasy Flight started with a lot of card games. Right. Little card games like Citadels, or they had all the, they had this line called the Silver Line, and their games came in 1995. They were in kind of a rectangular shaped box, like um, I'm trying to remember some of them. Quicksand was one, and they had like so Scarab through the desert. One? Through the desert was there. Yeah. Scarab Lords and Minotaur Lords, and yeah. they had these games. And Mutiny, I think, was the name of one. And those Colossal were Arena was Colossal that one? Arena. Yeah. They had a board, maybe a deck of cards and chits. There was no yeah. fancy. There wasn't all this like this, all this high production stuff, right? And then Flying Frog, their first game I think they ever did was a game called Last Night on Earth, a zombie game. Yeah. But there was like one mold of like zombies in the box, right? Yeah. And then I think you had like the heroes. So they they were a little bit higher production to begin with, but certainly not what they now have, which is hundreds of types of monsters <laughs> and heroes and all this stuff. I mean, everybody has to start small. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for joining us, everybody. You can visit our website, redravengames.com, and follow us on Twitter, at redravengame. No S. And uh, we'd like to say thank you to Fluid Bolt for the use of our theme song, Doggy Goes Moo, from the album Clay Memory. You can listen to more of Fluid Bolt's music at soundcloud.com slash fluidvolt. Uh, you can follow our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud, if you rate and subscribe, that would help us out a lot. You can follow me on Twitter at Brenna underscore Asplund and uh, Andrew Frick at EnderFrick1. Well, have a good week, everybody, and go play some games and nevermore.
going to try to just, go in with low Sorry, ex- just really brief. Yeah. Try not to shout like that. <laughs> oh, people like that. Like, get excited on the show. No, yeah. but it's too loud. It's going to mess up the audio. It's going to mess up the... It's going to mess up the audio. Disclaimer. Talking about Star Wars, our voices get a little bit louder because it's Star Wars! <laughs> the audio quality will suffer! <laughs> yes. That's right. That's right. Yes.